Zechariah 4 verses 6 to 9. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstones with shouts of grace, grace unto it. And moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small beginnings? Father, I thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for the word that uh, goes before us, that goes behind us, beside us, that lives within us. Thank you for the word that is truth that will never, ever fade away. I pray that you take these words today and divide it 200 different ways that your spirit would be free to do the work that he needs to do. That there would be no bondage, no wall, no no stronghold that would stop the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. We love you and we honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. How about you take your seats? If you didn't get the prayer, I did pray for drink and eat. So drink and eat. And be merry. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much. How about we thank our um, music team? All year they have brought us wonderful, wonderful praise and worship. And uh, it's great. Um, as Joel said before, I believe on, give honour where honour is due. And there's just a few people I would love to honour in the congregation this morning. I would love to honour... Um, my former pastor, Pastor Mary Boyer, who um, is here with us this morning. How about you welcome her? She's just been such, it's such an honour to have her here this morning. I'd love you to um, also honour Pastors Brian and Robin Hassan, who also um, were just wonderful. All these people were wonderful, wonderful examples of servant-hearted ministry and just played such a huge part in my childhood and and um, showing me the way that God provides always and how to love his house and love it well. So it's a real honour to have you guys all here this morning. Um, well, today, this week, I realised that I'm actually a really terrible seasonal preacher. I, um, I know it's the season of Christmas, but for the life of me, I couldn't get a Christmas sermon out. So I'm sure that you'll forgive me that there's not a lot of little baby Jesus references throughout the sermon today, but I promise there'll be big Jesus is the king of the world who conquers all and his saviour references all the way through it. So I promise I'll try and weave in, I know we've even got a Christmas like series going on. But I promise I'll try and weave that in. But if not, love me anyway, okay? Like, still be my family afterwards. Um, So if you're taking notes this morning, the sermon is titled Grace, Grace. Grace, Grace. And um, grace is such a huge concept in the Bible. It's actually, um, it's spoken about 125 times throughout the Bible. 16 of the epistles first start with grace be unto you. And uh, it talks about all the, uh, the glory of the grace of God and, um, and the riches of his grace. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a type of grace. There's four types of grace mentioned in the Bible. So if, um, if we could just quickly recap what those types are, and then we'll move on into the, um, 
into the verses. But the first type of grace we see in the Bible is actually saving grace. Hallelujah for saving grace. Amen. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, and it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. And that is saving grace. That is the grace that has gripped us from the hands of death and brought us to life. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God this morning, if you've asked Him to be Lord and Savior of your life, you have experienced and will continue to experience the saving grace of God, the saving grace of God. The second type of grace that we see in the Bible is the justifying grace of God. In, uh, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. It goes on to say that pre- the sins that were previously committed have been wiped away. Justifying grace. It's, you can break it down like this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justifying grace. That all that the past that you had has been washed away. Different to saving. Saving grips you from death. Justifying cleanses you and washes your past away. The third type of grace that we see, and it's not often spoken about in the church today, it's called the teaching grace. In Titus 2:11 it says for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and savior Jesus Christ Jesus' grace teaches us It doesn't just save us and justify us and then leave us to our own means. It teaches us how we can live a godly and righteous life in this present age. And if people say, I can do this, I can do that, I can do whatever I want, I'm under grace, that is not grace, that's rebellion. Because grace will always lead you to become more like Jesus, not like the world. And so teaching grace is a grace that God gives us that he would teach us on this journey, that we could live right and and godly lives in an age that that draws us to be something completely different to that, the teaching grace of God. And I'm so thankful for that. And the last, uh, fourth and final type of grace that uh, we see in the Bible, and the one I want to focus on today is called the enabling grace. Enabling grace of God. In 2 Corinthians 12 verses 8, Paul is praying to God. And he's, he's giving an account of his prayers. And he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Three times he went to the Lord and said, take this from me. I have no idea what he's talking about. And when I get to heaven, um, I will certainly ask Paul and say, what was that thorn in your side? Everyone talked about it for years. And, um, and I will ask, what was that thorn? But three times he went to the Father and desperately pleaded that he would take the issue from him. The God did it differently, differently how we like it. We like a miracle like that, microwave generation. But God says, no, I'm not going to take it. I'll give you my grace that will enable you to see this through. And the enabling grace. And as we read before, um, the, the verse in Zechariah 4, and I hope it was very familiar to you because we've been harping on that verse all year long. And um, I just felt it fitting to come to the end of the year and, and revisit that by my spirit, 
But to have a look at what happens next. Because what happens next was, was, the, was the story of Zerubbabel bring, uh, coming back to build the temple. Now, Zerubbabel had been in captivity, and I don't know how long he had been, whether he'd been born in captivity or whether he was um, taken as a child. But the backstory is that the children of Israel were living in such a way that God just wiped his hands of them and went, all right, I'm done. And the Babylonians came and they, they took over Jerusalem and they completely leveled it. They completely leveled it and they took all of the children of Israel into captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years, um, Zerubbabel uh, was one of the people who was leading a team that was let out. It wasn't like uh, in Moses' days when they said, let my people go and everyone was let go. There were groups of people that were let go at a time. And Zerubbabel was a leader of a group of people that were, were leaving captivity. And he had a vision from God to rebuild the temple. He had this calling. He knew that God wanted him to go back to the city of God, Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple of God. And so the enabling grace came upon Zerubbabel to do that. And when he got back there, he began with the temple. Good place to start. He didn't start with his own house. He didn't think, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and, well, I get first dibs, so I'm getting the really good land and I'm going to build a really good house and I'll find myself a wife. Once the kids are in school and we're settled, I'll get to that temple. That temple will be really useful then. He went straight to the temple. And why was the temple so important? It was because it was the dwelling place of God. A temple was the dwelling place of God and Zerubbabel knew that if he was to build the city of God, it could not be built without the presence of God. And the temple was where the presence was resided. And when we as a church speak about the promise, not by might, nor by power, I think I've got it on here, but by his spirit, says the Lord, this is what the promise is referring to, the building of the temple. It is not referring to an add-on to our life that by his spirit, we'll just do this, we'll get through. That's not what it was referring to. It's not an insurance policy if we run amok of our lives and then we say by his spirit over the top of it. It's, that's not the by his spirit promise was the power that would enable Zerubbabel to build the temple of the Lord. And if we're to claim the promise of by his spirit over our lives, be sure to claim what it was actually there for, that our lives would become a temple of the most high God, that he would dwell within us on earth and we would become a channel from heaven to earth to bring out the will of God. That is why by his spirit was given. It's not a tag. It's not a cute hashtag on our social media feed. It is the very power that anything that is of eternal difference needs in this world by his spirit. That is why we have that promise that we as a church could become a vessel for the presence of God by his spirit. And it says that Zerubbabel went back and he laid the foundation And as he laid the foundation, um, sorry, friends walking in the back. As he laid the foundation, there was a loud noise. It wasn't some angelic noise or anything. It came from people. And they couldn't really discern what the noise was. Some were shouting for joy. 
They laid the foundation in the temple and they were, they were on their way. They had begun what God had called them to do. And, and around that foundation, people started shouting for joy, shouting that how great is God? How good is this? We are going to rebuild. This will be the place of the Most High God. And then there was another sound. And it said the mourning of the people who had seen the former glory was so loud they could not differentiate between the shouts of joy and the crying because they were crying of the former days. Oh, it'll never be as good as it was. It'll never be as good as what Solomon built it to be. Why are you trying? Oh, you didn't see it in the old days. And I pray that we would be a people who shout for joy when God sets a foundation and begins to do something new, that we wouldn't be people who cry for the old days, or you should have seen it in the old days. Oh, it was heaps better back then. It was, oh, you should have seen when, when I was a youngster and we did faith things, you should have seen it then. I pray that we, every single voice in this church would be a voice that shouts for joy as God sets foundations for new things and for His Spirit to move. And it says he laid the foundation. And as soon as he laid the foundation, that noise came up. A mountain came up before him in the spirit. And he spoke to that mountain and he said, who are you, O mountain? Because mountains in the spirit represent things that are coming against us. Things that are trying to stop us, defeat us, trying to, trying to stop the work of the Lord. And he spoke to that mountain and he said, who are you? Because when God is through with you, you will be like a flat plane by his spirit. Who are you to stand in the way of God? And I'm not sure who in here today had something that God started in you. You know what it's like for God to start a vision. You know what it's like for that excitement to bubble within you. He begins something And then a mountain has come up against you. But I am here today to remind you that we don't only serve a God who gives saving grace, who only gives justifying grace, who only gives teaching grace. He is a God that gives enabling grace that you would be able to look at the thing that is in front of that vision, that's that mountain that is standing in front of your vision. And you could go, I serve a God who says that he who begins a good work has the power to finish it. It is not the question, does God have the power to finish it? Is it, where can he find someone who will hang in long enough to see God? God, make a way where there is no way. You have a God who gives enabling grace. When the mountain is staring right at you, I encourage you, church, talk to that mountain. As Mark 11 tells us to to talk to that mountain and say, be removed, you tell it what God is about to do. You will be a flat plane when God is through with you. Amen. So what were his mountains? I actually love this story. I've grown to love this story. Um, it was kind of frustrating at, the, at first because I thought I had the story. And Luke can testify to this. Um, I thought I had the story. And then I looked in the book, another book. And there's a little bit more of the story. And then I look in a different book, like 20 chapters back. And there's a little bit more of the story. And I literally walked out to the lounge and went, oh. <laughs> and Luke's like, what's wrong? I said, there's so much more to go. And he goes, isn't that great? I went, no. 
I thought I had it. Anyway, so throughout the book of um, Haggai, Ezra, and Zechariah, you'll find little pieces of this story. It's kind of like a treasure hunt. But in the book of Ezra, we see what Zerubbabel's mountains were. The people of the land bothered him. Anyone have any people who bother them? Yes. He had squatters who came up and took rights on the foundation that he laid. Just set up camp. That's where they began living. They had, he had people who hired lawyers to bring permits against him that he wouldn't build the temple of the Lord. He had adversaries. He had people who heard the noise from the morning and the shouting and came to try and make a political alliance with him. But they were people who feared God but served other gods. So he had to shut down that avenue and say no to the help that would have been really, really helpful. But he had to keep pure before the Lord. He had people lying about him. They told lies upon lies about Zerubbabel just so he could stop the work of the Lord. And he had half-hearted people. Oh, I think this would have been the most difficult part. Half-hearted people, half-building, half-coming along, half-serving, half-giving, half-worshipping, half-praising, half-putting in, half-hearted people trying to build this kingdom. And this was the mountain that came up before him. And you might think, okay, well, that might have stopped work for a day or so. But it, it stopped work completely. This mountain that came in front of Zerubbabel completely stopped the work that Zerubbabel was doing for the Lord. And it didn't just stop for a few weeks or a few months. I am talking 16 years there was a standstill for the work of the Lord. 16 years he stopped with still a vision in his heart, still knowing upon knowing, still going back. Letters to the king, letters to Zerubbabel. Letters to the king, letters to Zerubbabel. Back and forth and back and forth, continuing to say, you will not build the kingdom of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so defeated and frustrated, he is looking at this mountain for 16 years. He is looking at the yet unfinished And I wonder today if you are looking at something that is yet unfinished. God began a good work in you, but it just got too tough. The world was just too much in your face. There were people bothering you. But God doesn't start anything that he doesn't have the power to finish. He gives in his grace, he gives enabling grace. And there might be issues that you're looking at and you're saying, God, take it. You need to take this. You need to take this. You need to take this. And you might have gone three times. You might have gone 30 times. And God is saying today, I give enabling grace that you would see it through, that he will finish what he has started. I think we quit too soon sometimes. We throw in the towel too soon, but we need to stand in the rigor, in the face of the mountain, even when it looks bigger than what we're trying to see on the other side. 
Even when we feel small, the next verse says, do not despise the day of the small beginnings. I don't think it's just saying don't despise when things look small. It's saying don't despise when you feel small, when even in your vision you feel insignificant. That Zerubbabel would have felt very small that he had no rights to the foundations he laid. But I I want to encourage you that in the day of small beginning, when you feel like no one's seeing the gift I've got, no one's seeing the time I'm putting in, no one's seeing what I do in the background, that stay strong, resist the temptation to say, I want something that makes me feel big because you've got a big God that's on your side. It's not about us and our house, but about His and His house. That in those times, you need to make that decision that you would be the person who would see it through when God will make a way where there is no way and you wouldn't be the person who threw it in and missed the miracle. He gives enabling grace to see through those days, even when you're doing the work of the Lord. Thanks, Joe. And in a moment of deep frustration and despair, Zechariah the prophet comes to Zerubbabel. And this is where we get that wonderful verse about by his, by his spirit. And he looks at Zerubbabel, a beaten down 16 years. There's been that mountain and a standstill. And he just looks at him and he says, begin again. Begin again. Believe again. Hope again. Praise again. Pray again. Worship again. Fast again. Begin again. The mountain has not moved, I know, but begin again. There is only so long that that mountain can keep you where you are before God will level it and make it a plain. Begin again, Zerubbabel, because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Begin the work of the Lord again. And so as they start to work again, another letter, like many years had gone on, was sent to the king. These are the Dibbadobbers of Jerusalem. King, do you know that Zerubbabel started work again? King's enraged, sends a letter back. You will stop work. But something was different this time. Because as the, as the prophet Zechariah had said to Zerubbabel, by his spirit this will happen, something else he asked him to do. He said, go and get the headstone. Now the headstone was the very last thing that was to go upon a building. It meant it is, it is at its full completion. It, everything's done, put the headstone up. It didn't mean we'll do the cutting in later in the, in the lounge room, but it meant everything is done. Go and grab the headstone. And so Zerubbabel went and grabbed the headstone and he said, now put it on the foundation. And he put it on the foundation and Zechariah said, now shout grace, grace to it. So Zechariah, with faith starting to bubble again, starting to believe again, he shouts, grace, grace. Foolish to everyone around him. He put the headstone on first. We've got this all round wrong. They had doubts about him. In the middle of the rubble, the squatters still would have been there. 
the permit still would have been against him. He put the headstone upon the foundation and shouted, grace, 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 grace. He is the foundation and he is the end. He is the headstone and the stone which we build upon. The stone the builders threw away was Jesus Christ. He went and got that headstone representing Jesus Christ saying, grace, grace, it is finished. Grace, grace, it is done. Grace, grace, by His Spirit, this temple will be built. And everyone around, it says, would know that the Lord God built that temple. Grace, grace. I wonder if there's a few things that need a few grace, grace shouted at them this morning. Whether you have left a few things desolate, left the squatters to it, left the permits on it because you didn't know to shout grace, grace, that you didn't know that God's enabling grace comes upon you when He calls you to do the work of the Lord. And as He shouted grace, grace, a letter came back. Stop work. But Zerubbabel's response was this. Tell the king this. You're going to want to check your archives. Not making it up. Read the Bible. Because there was a decree issued by King Cyrus that says we are to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Check your archives, king. And so they dibba-dobbers toddle off. Tell the king that. The king sets out a search, all right? Check the royal archives. And in Ezra 6, we see the king's response. The temple where the sacrifices are offered is to be rebuilt on new foundations. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide, just as the Lord has instructed, with three courses of large stone topped with one course of timber. The cost is to be paid by the royal bank. The gold and the silver vessels from the temple of God that Nebuchadnezzar stole, carried to Babylon, are to be returned to the temple at Jerusalem, each to its proper place. Place them in the temple of God. Now listen, Dibbadobbers, stay out of their way. Leave the governor and the leaders of the Jews alone so they can work on the temple of God as they build it. And I hereby give official orders on how you are to help the leaders of the Jews in the rebuilding of the temple. All construction costs are to be paid to the men of the royal bank out of the taxes coming from the land and pay them on time without delays. Whatever is required for their worship. Young bulls, rams, lambs, whole burnt offerings to the house of God, the God of heaven. And whatever wheat, salt, wine and anointing oil the priests of Jerusalem request, it is to be given to them daily without delay so that they make sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his son. Grace upon grace. Not only was what was stolen returned, but what they needed was provided grace, grace, that there was enabling grace that even their enemies had to stand by and take orders to build the house of the Lord. And when you declare that it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, the work of the Lord will go ahead before you and he will make the mountain like a plain and where there was no way, there will be a way. And that the Spirit of the Lord would have somewhere to dwell on this earth. Grace, grace. That's the milk and the honey. 
Not only did they get what was stolen returned, but they got what they needed provided for. And no one could say it was by Zerubbabel's hand, only by the Lord. I believe some of us today need to tell the enemy enemy to check the archives. Check what's written about you. Oh yeah, mountain, have you seen what's written? That no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that every tongue that comes against me to condemn me will not stand. Have you checked that, that it's written? Have you checked that the God who starts a good work in me is faithful to finish it, even if there's a 16-year delay? It is written that we have victory upon victory upon victory and grace upon grace is in, is in our reach if we just put Jesus as the beginning and Jesus as the end. All Jesus, all His work, all His grace, grace, grace. I wonder today what you need to put Jesus as your headstone and shout grace, grace over again. Grace, grace ministry. Grace, grace marriage. Grace, grace contract. Grace, grace land. Grace, grace family. I wonder what needs to be reminded of what is written. Grace, grace, addiction. Grace, grace, heartbreak. Grace, grace, stronghold. Grace, grace, mountain. For it is written. It is written. Some of us need to get out the archives that have been around for as long as time began and remind the enemy, the mountain that is standing in front of us. I've checked the King of Kings archives. It's not just King Cyrus's archives. I've checked the King of Kings, the eternal King, Prince of Peace and Lord of Lords archives. And it says, I win. I win because he who is with me is greater than he who is against me. And I know I don't work in my spirit or my power. It is by his spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I pray that we would become a community of people so focused on allowing His Spirit to make us His dwelling place. It says we are now the temple of the Most High God. We're the living temple of the Most High God. I pray that we would make that such a priority and that we'd be so focused on making our lives His dwelling place that miracles just start happening when we get together. That salvations just start pouring in when we get together. That healings start happening. That building contracts, answers to building contracts just start happening. Business doors just start opening. That wombs that were closed just start opening. That worship songs would bubble up from within us because we are just, we cannot contain the dwelling of the Most High God. And where He is, so follows His character traits. He brings life, He brings joy, and He brings hope. I pray that we would be a church like that. And in Haggai 2.9, it says, The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, 
I will give peace. You want your Christmas reference? Nothing brings calm like peace. And nothing brings peace like the presence of God. There could be a mountain, but your God gives enabling grace, enabling grace to see it through. I don't know who needs to be told, begin again today. Begin again. Who needs the shout of grace, grace over a few things. To put Jesus back at the head, the beginning and the end. Or who needs to check the archives about what God is saying over your life? Because it is written, grace, grace for everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. I'd love if the band would come. And there's two types of people, not types. <laughs> We're all family. Um, Two groups of people that I'd love to pray for this morning. And if you're in the band and you want prayer, that's fine. You just jump off stage. But I'd love it if we could stand. The Bible talks about people who left captivity with Zerubbabel. And it says, but they went on building their own homes. I wonder if there's people in here today who set the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. Happy to shout joy over the foundation that was set, but went on building your own home. My Bible actually puts it that they, um, they were preoccupied with other pursuits. This is not a call for pastors or for you to go into the ministry. This is a call that you would be a sold out Christian, that your life would be continually in the pursuit of making a place where heaven can funnel through you and come onto earth. And if you're here today and you set that foundation of Jesus Christ as your saviour and you know he's your saviour, but you kind of just went on with other pursuits. Your life isn't focused on building a place where he would dwell. I'd love to pray with you just just to say, grace, grace. He will finish what he started. He doesn't leave you or forsake you. He will finish that good work he began. And the second group of people I want to pray for is people who know that God put something in your heart. He put a dream, a vision. You know that it was God. It wasn't one of those things you thought up and then bullied God to get on side. You know God put it in your heart. He called you to do it. And you began to lay the foundations. You wanted to build that godly family. You wanted to be that godly wife. You wanted to be that godly husband. You wanted to be that, that businessman who raised up people. You wanted to be that, that teacher who imparted Christ. But a mountain came before you. I'd love to pray with you and say, begin again. Hope again. Pray again. Believe again. In Jesus' name. If that's you this morning as we sing, I'd love you to come down the front and I would love to pray with you. Because there is hope in Jesus. Grace, grace, it brings joy.
It brings joy and peace and love. So as we sing, would you come and we'd love to pray with you. In Jesus' name, amen.